الحمد لله الذي أنزل قرآنا عربيا وهدانا الصراط سويا والصلاة والسلام على محمد الذي بعث رسول النبي وعلى آله وصحبه الذين سلكوا طريقا مرضيا ما بعد. My respected elders, dearest brothers and sisters, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. When we talk about masjids and places of worship, first and foremost, in our mind, we think of the haram in Mecca, the haram in Medina. And slowly but surely, we find ourselves and our minds weakening towards a discussion regarding Masjid al-Aqsa. The masjid which was created after the creation of the Kaaba. In fact, in one hadith related by Imam Muslim, Rahimahullah, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, radiallahu anhu, approaches the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he asks regarding which mosque was the first mosque to be built upon the face of this earth. And the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, highlights that it was the masjid in Mecca, the haram in Mecca. He then asks, which was made second? And the Prophet said, it was Masjid Al-Aqsa. And Al-Aqsa meaning the furthest mosque. Because from Mecca, it is a distant place. And that is why it was known as the furthest mosque. And he says, what was the duration between in which both were created? And he says that they were created 40 years apart from one another. Masjid Al-Aqsa has a great history. It has a history which if we forget today, then our situation will be like various others who have come in history who have also forgotten the importance of Masjid Al-Aqsa. It is something that we need to discuss in order for it to be fresh in our minds and to remain fresh in the minds of our children who will continue this legacy of Islam for us when we have left this earth. If there is no one to speak about Masjid Al-Aqsa today and we were to say, well, let's leave it. Makkah and Medina is fine. We're going to go and visit there. We'll perform our Umrah. After there, we will go for Ziyarah in Medina. As far as Masjid Al-Aqsa, it's too dangerous to go there. Let's leave it, okay? For as long as people have that type of mentality, it will be wiped away from our minds to the extent that our offspring will come and they will hold zero, absolutely no importance to it. It comes into prominence on various occasions. First you find that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on the night of the 27th of Rajab, we are in the month of Rajab now. According to the scholars of Hadith, when was the situation where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was taken away from Mecca and he had the Isra, the night journey, and then he had Mi'raj where he ascended towards the heavens. According to the majority of the scholars, this was in the month of Rajab, which is our current month, and it happened on the 27th night. According to others, it was on the 27th of Rabi'u Thani, and there are many other opinions as well. But the, the strongest opinion and the popular opinion among the scholars is that 
that it happened on the 27th of Rajab, where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, as highlighted by Imam Bukhari, was in his house, and whilst he was in his house, his rooftop had opened, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was taken by Jibril alaihi salatu wasallam, and he was taken on a journey that night where he had seen a variety of different things. The journey was split into two parts, and my purpose isn't to discuss Isra wal Mi'raj because this is a topic which we hear month, uh, you know, year and uh, year out. It is an important topic, but we hear it regularly. My topic is to speak to you regarding the significance of Masjid al-Aqsa. The Prophet wasallam on this particular journey, he had traveled from uh, Mecca to Jerusalem. And this journey itself was known as Isra, the night journey, because it took part during the night. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had taken him. And on this journey, he had seen several things where he sees individuals, uh, uh, for example, he's passing by one area and he, send, he smells the scent of musk. And this narration has been highlighted by Abu Dawood. He smells the, uh, the, the, the scent of musk and he asks Jibreel as to what is this uh, area. And he highlights that this is the area where the hairdresser of the child of Fir'aun was, uh, uh, was uh, buried. And he asked, well, what was the situation? And then it is narrated that during the time of Fir'aun, there was a, a, a hairdresser who, and an attendant who would look after his daughter and he, she would comb her hair. And one day she dropped that comb. And as she dropped that comb, she said, Bismillah, in the name of Allah, she went to pick it up as people of senior ages do. And as she picked it up, she, the, the girl said, when, when you say in the name of God, do you mean my father, Fir'aun? And she said, no, I mean the creator of all of us. I mean Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Lord of, of, of Musa alayhi salatu wasalam, the Lord of all of us. As soon as she says this, she's reported and she's brought in front of Fir'aun. Fir'aun says, will you renounce your faith? She says, I will not renounce my faith. My creator and your creator is the same. That you are not a creator, you are not a Lord, that you are a false deity. So he says, then you will be killed. And the way that she was killed was that a, uh, an, iron, uh, an, uh, the, an iron calf was brought in front of her and it was filled with oil and it was put to a, a temperature where it was boiling and sweltering and thereafter she was told that she was going to be thrown into it. She makes a request to Firaun. She says, when you get rid of me and my body is decimated and my, the body of my children are also decimated, put our bones all in one place. Put them all in one place and that's exactly what Fir'aun promises her he says this can be done but he says that I want to make this as painful for you as possible and therefore I have decreed that your children will die first in front of you and her children one by one her family members are thrown and they are killed and it comes to a point where there is an infant and the hadith mentions that it was a young boy who was being breastfed breastfed so you can see how young this individual was this infant was this young boy was and this young boy was taken and at that moment her iman began to waver she had made such sacrifices already seeing her other children pass away but at that moment she felt a bit in her heart that this young son of mine this young baby of mine is about to pass away is about to be killed and it was at that juncture that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like in three other occasions, had allowed that child to speak to his mother. And he said that, oh, my mother, do not lose your faith. For the punishment in the hereafter is far more severe than the punishment in this world. And as a result, her iman was saved. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has highlighted this on the authority of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. He sees the Prophet yani My purpose is to highlight that when he had this journey of Isra, he saw these 
instances in front of his eyes and in front of him. And he said to himself that, you know, these were, these were occurrences that had happened in the past. The Prophet ﷺ was receiving warnings for people who take usury, people who, who do wrong, etc., etc., until eventually he reaches Jerusalem. And it is in Jerusalem. Now there is a significance here that of, out of all the masajid that where the prophets of Allah ﷺ could congregate in, out of all the, all the masajid, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have taken the Prophet sallallahu and instructed him to go to the Kaaba, which is one of the most sacred places on the face of this earth. He could have taken the Prophet sallallahu to Yathrib, which was not Medina then, it was Yathrib before it became Medina, but to the place where the Prophet sallallahu would later migrate to and pray. Out of all the places that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could take his Prophet, he took him to Masjid al-Aqsa. He took him to that place about which the Prophet said that visits should be undertaken to three mosques that people are going and when they are going they should they should make an intention for three mosques and what are those three mosques he said Masjid al-Aqsa and then he related his own masjid sorry he, he first he mentioned the masjid which is in Mecca the Haram and then he mentioned the Haram in Medina and then finally he mentioned the Masjid al-Aqsa the third masjid which an individual should endeavor in his lifetime to try going there it is not a small masjid such is its relevance in Islam such is the relevance of Masjid al-Aqsa in Islam that when the Prophet sallallahu left Mecca and he now came to Medina for 16 to 17 months the Prophet sallallahu prayed his salah whilst facing the Qibla towards Jerusalem whilst facing toward the Qibla of Masjid al-Aqsa that was the direction in which he would face in for 16 to 17 months of his life and it was in salah that the Prophet sallallahu received the message that it is now time for you to turn your face towards Masjid al-Haram in Mecca it is time for you to the Kaaba and whilst the Prophet was in Salah he turned towards the Kaaba and the Sahaba عنهم, also and that place today you can go and visit the place where this happened is known as Masjid Qiblatayn the, the mosque of the two Qiblas if you go to Medina today you can take a taxi to go out etc you will be able to go to that Masjid and you will be able to see uh, the two Qiblas where the Prophet was praying and then the direction in which the Prophet had moved towards the both qiblas were moved okay sorry both qiblas were are, are marked on the walls okay where they are now and where it was previously you can go there you can see it you can view it with your own eyes but the point which is being mentioned once again here is that Masjid al-Aqsa isn't something which is strange to us it isn't something which is unknown to us it isn't something which is not part of our history or not part of our life and therefore we discard it the people of the past, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and those who came after the Sahaba radiallahu anhum had great, great amounts of honor for this. In fact, when Umar radiallahu anhu became the Khalif of the Muslims, and he was leading the Muslims from place to place, when Umar radiallahu anhu, see the Prophet sallallahu passed away, and then Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu came into power. For two years, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was just holding down the faith. The reason being that there were many people who were leaving Islam 
Islam. People were who were Muslims purely because they thought the Prophet wasallam was, was alive and that he was a prophet and therefore we're going to believe in him. And as soon as the Prophet wasallam passed away, they left their faith as well. There were others who were Muslim but they said to themselves, well, we don't want to give any of our zakah away and therefore we do not want to give charity to Abu Bakr anhu. So he had a problem on this side as well. And then the third and one of the greatest problems is that you had people who were claiming to be prophets after the Prophet of Allah So you have the Prophet Muhammad passing away and then you've got Musaylam al-Kadhab, the greatest liar who is saying that he is a prophet. You've got other individuals who are saying that they are prophets and they are calling people towards a new faith and they are saying that we have a portion in this from Muhammad and they are taking people away. Abu Bakr mustering all of his strength is exhausting all of his time in firm, making the faith firm so that it does not dissolve, so that it does not uh, disperse, that people still remain Muslim. And then comes the time of Umar and in the time of Umar Islam goes from strength to strength, from strength to strength. He is going from places to, uh, to places. Abu Ubaidah, who is the commander of the Muslim army, he is going all through Syria. There's Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu anhu, who is defeating the Romans, who were the superpowers of that time in the battle of Yarmouk. And they are going from place to place, place to place, till the year 636, where they come now to Masjid al-Aqsa, they come to Jerusalem. And when the custodians of Jerusalem see that this, uh, the Muslims have come in order to retake the land which belongs to them, they said that we will only give this land, we don't want any bloodshed, but we will give this land only to the Khalifa of the time. And this was Umar radiallahu anhu. So all the way from Medina, Umar radiallahu anhu comes to take the keys of Masjid al-Aqsa. Now, at that time, he comes in in such a humble way, and I've discussed this in a previous uh, khutbah, that he comes in on a donkey, where, and, and not that he's on a donkey, but before he had left Medina, he had said to one of his attendants that we have a long journey ahead of us. For half the journey, I will sit on the donkey, and for half the journey, you will sit on the donkey. Because this was the justice of Umar radiallahu anhu, that he didn't feel himself above anybody in this world. And therefore, Umar radiallahu anhu uh, and, the, and the attendant agreed to this. Now, Umar sits first. And, and, the, and the attendant pulls Umar, who is the Khalifa of the time along. But then the Khalifa comes off and he says to the attendant, now it's your half. And he sits on it. And as they come into Jerusalem, everybody is waiting there. And the people are watching Umar radiallahu anhu. And as he's running in, he's pulling the donkey along. And he's falling into the mud because it requires a lot of strength and the ground is uh, un uneven. And as he, look at the humility, he's the leader of the Muslim, but he is coming in such a humble way. And when this happens, the pro the, when this happens, Umar radiallahu anhu enters into uh, Jerusalem and the key is given to him and he ensures that everything is peaceful, that the, everybody who is living in uh, uh, Jerusalem at that time is in a peaceful state. He stays there for 10 days until he returns back to Medina. This happens in the year 636. For until the 11th century, towards the end of the uh, 10th century, in the year 1099, Masjid al-Aqsa and Jerusalem in the hands of the Muslims was pretty much in peace until Pope Urban, Pope Urban II had launched an offensive and he had called all of Christendom to attack against Baytul Maqdis and to launch the first crusade which was an absolutely horrific incident which had occurred and this happened in the year 1099 inshallah we will continue with this discussion on the member. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah ma ba'd. In the year 1099, Pope Urban II 
had sent a message to all of Christendom that it is now time to attack Jerusalem and to claim Masjid al-Aqsa. At that moment, the leadership among the Muslims was very weak. And an army was amassed from Europe, from various nations, who all had marched on to Jerusalem. And the massacre was such that Muslims were killed indiscriminately. We speak of the incident that occurred in Christchurch a couple of weeks ago, where 50 people, 51 people were slaughtered. In a single day, during the year 1099, in Masjid al-Aqsa, 70,000 Muslims were slaughtered. 70,000. Women were violated, kids were killed, children were killed. The massacre was such that Muslims were eradicated from Jerusalem. And for 88 years, there was not an individual to stand up and to take Jerusalem back or to defend the Muslims who had remained in, those, in that land or the lands which surrounded it, such as Acre. Until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave a dream to one woman who when she was asleep saw that one of the swords of Allah were in her stomach. This was the mother of Salahuddin Ayyubi, rahimahullah. In his life, he grows and grows and grows until he becomes a man where he, see, where he sees the persecution which is going on in Jerusalem, where he sees that zulm and oppression, that the screams of those who are oppressed are reaching the heavens, and he says that he will be the man who makes a difference. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has highlighted in one hadith that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala sends at the head of every hundred years a person or a group of people who renew the faith of those people who are Muslims, that they gather the people again, that the people who are dispersed in, in conflict and in disagreement, this one person or this group of people come again and they revitalize the iman of people, they bring people together. And it is told to Salahuddin, astrologers say to, look at the resolve of Salahuddin, when he sees the oppression in front of him. Salahuddin is told by astrologers of that time that we have looked at the stars and the stars say, that if you march on Jerusalem, you will lose your eye. Salahuddin says, even if I lose both eyes, I will reclaim that city. And Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimullah, was such an individual. His honor, his valor, the pain that he felt in his heart for Muslims was such that he's it's an amazing man, that people during his time, his enemies loved him, his, the, the, his friends loved him, people who heard about him loved him, to the extent that even today, you know, when you look at media and when you look at movies which are made, in a nearly every movie that you see, Muslims are usually the villains. You look at any war movie which is depicting Iraq, you will find that there is a Muslim who is a bomber. You look at any program, there is a Muslim there who is a bomber. Salahuddin Ayyubi, rahimahullah, when they make a, 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 a movie regarding his time in Palestine and in his time in Jerusalem, you see that this man is heralded as a hero even among the Europeans. Why? Because of his honor. Now, when he is coming into Jerusalem, he's now conquering Jerusalem, 
but the individual who is the custodian of Jerusalem realizes that he can't fend off Salahuddin Ayyubi's army anymore. And he comes out with two requests. And Salahuddin Ayyubi says that, okay, those requests are fine. And, and he comes into uh, Jerusalem. Now, after 88 years, that pain that the Muslims had felt in their hearts, where many Muslims had been massacred, is still fresh in their hearts. There are thoughts where people are saying that we want to kill these individuals, just like they had killed us. But in the back of Salahuddin's mind, he has the words of the Prophet ﷺ. When the Prophet ﷺ conquered Mecca, when he conquered Mecca, he was... An individual shouted, Al-Yawm, Yawmul Malhama, that today is the day of upheavals and bloodshed. And the Prophet ﷺ stopped the man and he said, No, rather say, Al-Yawm, Yawmul Marhama, today is the day of mercy. And while Salahuddin was inside Jerusalem, nobody had the ability to fight off the Muslims or to keep them out. Why? Because he had spent his time, he, his dream was to perform Hajj. His dream, dream was to perform Hajj. He could not perform his Hajj because he spent more time on the battlefield for, his, for the sake of the Muslim community. News came to him that his brother died and he wept. Ibn Shaddad mentioned that news came to him that his nephew died and he wept. But then he woke up in the morning and he went onto the battlefield and he says that he was the same Salahuddin. When, you know, the reason why Salahuddin was Salahuddin was such that during the time in which he was ruling over Jerusalem, many Muslims outside of the region, when the third crusade came, were slaughtered. He sat on the musalla that day, and he said to Allah, and Ibn Shaddad mentions that he wept until his beard became wet, his hair became wet, his chest became wet, and the floor where he was sitting became wet, because he had that pain in his heart for the Muslims who were dying. And he says to Allah that, Oh Allah, I have exhausted my entire body trying to serve the Muslims. I have nothing left apart from giving myself to you now. That there is nothing left. And in the morning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it such that, that, that Richard Lionheart, who was in charge of the third crusade, comes to Salahuddin and asks for a truce and this man Richard Lionheart himself says that for as long as men like Salahuddin Ayyubi are there to protect Masjid al-Aqsa, Masjid al-Aqsa will not be captured. This was the word of Richard Lionheart who was one of the you know gravest enemies of Salahuddin Ayyubi. The time for Salahuddin Ayyubi to leave the world comes. He has conquered so many places in his time. He's the king of Egypt. He's the king of Lebanon. He's the king of Syria. He's the king of Yemen. He's now leaving this world, and all he has to his name is one gold coin and 47 silver coins. He has a bit of armor, and he has one horse. He has one horse. My friends, during that time, his efforts for Islam were such. There were three other caliphs also alive during that time. There were three other Muslim kings alive during that time. History has forgotten each and every single one of them. Nobody knows what their names are, but everybody knows the name of Salahuddin Ayyubi. His enemies loved him, his friends loved him, and today we mention him, today we mention him for the sacrifices that he made. My friends, where from among us are those individuals who will speak out at the oppression, at the occupation, who will 
will say to our children that Jerusalem and Beitul Maqdis and Masjidul Aqsa is something which belongs to the Muslims, which is part of their land. This is something that we have to get into the mindset of that just like we have the Haram in Makkah, just like we have the Haram in Medina, there is also one which is Al Aqsa, the furthest mosque, that mosque which was created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 40 years after the creation of the Kaaba. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to have that ghayra and that envy as was present in the heart of Salahuddin Ayyubi. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala free Al-Aqsa of occupation. May Allah bring stability to that land. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect the Muslimin. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect the Muslimin, not just in Palestine, but all around the world. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our Jum'ah and accept our prayers here. إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله تعالى من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا ما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم ارضى عن الخلفاء الراشدين الأربع أبي بكر وعمر وعثمان وعلي وعن ستة من العشرة وعن أهل بدر وعن أسهاب الشجرة وعن السابقين الأولين من المهاجرين والأنصار وعن أمهات المؤمنين وعن الصحابة رضي الله تعالى عنهم أجمعين اللهم اغفر لنا وللمؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات مؤلف بين قلوبهم وأصلح ذات بينهم وانصرهم على عدوك وعدوهم اللهم اغفر لأمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم استر أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم احفظ أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم تجاوز عن أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم ارحم أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم عز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم عز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم انصر الإسلام والمسلمين في كل مكان اللهم أصلح أحوال المسلمين في كل مكان اللهم أنجل مستضعفين من المؤمنين في كل مكان اللهم كن لهم عونا ونصيرا اللهم بدل خوفهم أمنا وأخرجهم من الظلمات إلى النور يا أرحم الراحمين عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون أذكروا الله يذكركم ودعوه يستجب لكم ولذكر الله تعالى أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقيموا الصلاة